Good morning. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and amen. It's a beautiful day, isn't it? That's how every day you wake up, you know the Lord sustains you through the night. We have, a, we have a reason to be grateful, don't we? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever got to the point in your life where everything's just wonderful? You're getting up in the morning, you're having your time with God, and and you're spending a half hour or even an hour uh, talking to the Lord and reading your scripture and everything's just wonderful. And as the time progresses, you find yourself slipping away. Has anybody ever been there or is it just me? You know, that's probably true for probably most of us or maybe all of us. Uh, you know, sometimes we start our day and it just wasn't as productive spiritually as it was the day before. Or sometimes you get up and, 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 you're, and you're praying and it, it, the prayer just isn't going anywhere. You ever have, ever have a prayer like that? It just doesn't seem to be, it's just kind of floating in cyberspace somewhere. It never reaches any destination. You feel yourself slipping away from God. Well, that's what happened to Israel. They found themselves slipping away from God. And this, this old prophet by the name of Elijah comes along. And he says, you know, he says, uh, we need revival in Israel. And uh, I'm, I'm beginning to think that maybe we need revival right here at Hazelwood Baptist Church. Maybe, maybe we need a touch of that fire that uh, Elijah called down from heaven. If you would please take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings 18, beginning at verse 30. I want to talk about four steps to renewing your walk with God. Four steps to renewing your walk with God. In verse 30 of 1 Kings 18, we'll read on through verse 39. It says, Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. So with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two majors of seed. Then he arranged the wood and cut the ox in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, Fill four pitchers with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, Do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. The water flowed around the altar, and he also filled the trench with water. At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known, to you, let it be known that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Let's pray. Father, when we leave this place today, we want to know the Lord, He is God. Father, let that resonate in our minds and in our hearts, 
in our actions through the course of this day, Father, that we serve a risen Lord who is the king of this universe. He is our creator and a sustainer, redeemer. Father, we just thank you, Lord, that as we look at this passage today, I just pray that the fire of God that came from heaven will be the fire of God that will come from heaven again and touch our hearts and our minds and our lives, Father, that we may be consumed for our Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. I want to ask, are you today walking worthy of the calling to which you've been called? Many or perhaps most of us have begun well in our Christian walk. Our spiritual enthusiasm was high. Our desire to serve God, our willingness toward being a disciple was at one time our main focus. But somehow or somewhere along the way, we got sidetracked in that journey. Other interests crept into our lives and began to take big bites from our walking with the Lord. Something just changed about us. Our countenance fell. Our desire to, to really be a disciple of Jesus just kind of waned. What started off well, what began as, as fierce as an ocean's wave, has now trickled down to an occasional stirring of the water. Church, without that altar, Without that relationship with God, we are an anemic people. We live in a, in a day and age, in a society where the, where the influence of the church has waned. The power of the Word of God has seemingly left. If you look at the statistics you come to find out that less and less people are interested in church, and less than that are believing that the Bible is the Word of God. There needs to be a renewing of our walk with God in this land. Our morning time devotion with the Lord hardly gets much attention. Our heart has been stolen by a new love. Our minds are now filled with the thoughts of the day's tasks ahead. And to be sure, you may not have left and forsaken God, but you have for sure have left and forsaken your fervency for God. We've become weak. But friends, you're not alone in your lack of yieldedness to God. If so, if so, Paul would not have challenged the churches to set their minds on things above, not on things that are on the earth. He writes to the church of Colossae and he tells them that very thing. He says, your focus needs to be above. But our focus, because we're so empirically minded, we, we, we go along with what we see and what we hear, what we taste, what we smell, what we touch, and we think that that is reality for us. And that's all that reality is, just those empirical things. But that's not true. Paul says, seek those things which are above, 
And no empirical process can touch that. It comes as a matter of faith. It comes as a matter of your walk, your relationship with God. So then let's determine this day to renew our desire for God. In this message today, I would like to offer four steps from our text that tell us how to renew that walk with God, the walk that we want. Look at step one, and you find that in verse 30. Verse 30 of the text says, Then Elijah said to the people, Come near to me. So all the people came near to him. And look what he did. It says, And he repaired the altar of the Lord which had been torn down. Folks, the first point is we need to restore our broken altars. During the time when Ahab was king of Israel's northern tribes, the worship of Baal, that false deity, false god, there's no such god as the god called Baal. It was a figment of their imaginations. Uh, by the way, I don't know if you knew this or not, but Baal supposedly, reportedly, was, was half man and half fish. I, I don't, you know, if I were to see that, I wouldn't think that that would be God. I think that'd be some kind of a genetic mess up somewhere. But anyway, they began to worship this God called Baal. And during Ahab's reign as king of the northern Israel, the northern tribes of Israel, the people more and more gravitated toward the worship of Baal. And less and less toward the worship of God. They began to worship other things. Other gods. And I'm not saying that we have other gods. But maybe we do. I think that maybe if another god showed up. Maybe we would have more of this auditorium filled with people. Maybe if the God of sports, maybe if the God of entertainment, maybe if the God of excitement, maybe if the God of enthusiasm, maybe if that God showed up, maybe we would fill this place. Isn't it amazing? That we want to be so amused in our lives that we forget to muse in our lives. That means we forget to really study to show ourselves approved unto God. We just want to be like zombies and be amused. So we sit here and we pack the place out so we can be amused. But folks, the pulpit, the last vestige of anything that is sacred left in this world, seemingly, is the place where the Word of God should be preached. It is a place where people should congregate. It is, a, it is when the Word of God is preached that every ear within hearing distance of that message should come and hear what God's Word has to say. We need to repair altars that have been broken down. Restore those altars. Restore that morning time that you had with God. Restore that time when you would open God's Word and learn from it and love it and memorize it and meditate upon it. 
Restore those things that have been torn down. Yes, we have other interests. Work, family, friends, sports, school, whatever. They've managed to replace what used to be and what ought to be the most important thing in all of your life. I'm not talking about attending church. That's not the most important thing. Attending church is not the most important thing. The most important thing is going back and remembering the very first commandment that God gave us. I am the Lord thy God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. It is making God your priority. Not coming to church, but making God your priority. When God is your priority, you'll want to pray. You'll want to read your Bible. You will want to come to church. You will want to work in that church. You'll want to give of your time and your talent and your treasure to God because God has become your priority. Restore the broken altars. When you think of that altar of, of God, what comes to your mind? Let me just give you a few examples. How about the altar for us is to be a place of prayer. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, he says, Church, pray without ceasing. Now, that does not mean that we should do nothing else in our lives but pray. I think that would be impossibility. But let me tell you what it does mean. It does mean that nothing else should ever keep the church from being a church of prayer. We need to be a people of prayer. You may be asking yourself, so how much prayer is enough prayer? I like what one Bible commentator writes. He says, till we come to that world where prayer shall be swallowed up in praise. You keep on praying until God reveals himself through his word. And God illumines your heart and your mind. And God inspires you with his presence and there's anointing of God upon you. And you sense the fire of God's Holy Spirit coming upon you. And it gives you that warmth in your body. And you say, thank you, Jesus, for you are here with me. That's enough prayer. We just should not pray and say, well, I've done my duty for the day. Bless this food. Bless this house. Bless mom and dad. And bless the dog. It is prayer that calms and quiets an anxious heart. In Philippians 4, 6, and 7, Paul says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And then he says in verse 7, he says, listen, this is important. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Notice Paul does not say, he does not say that God will give you everything you want. If God gave me everything I wanted, I told the first the group this morning, I'll tell you in soon. If God gave me everything I wanted, I would have dark wavy hair and I would be six foot five. <laughs> I'm neither of those things. I have no hair and I'm five foot six. God won't give you everything that you want. But Paul is saying, and the Word of God does say, that God will give you all that you need. 
And do you know what you need? Listen, when you're, when you're traveling through the valley of the shadow of death, when troubles, listen, when troubles are drowning you out, when problems assail you, when you think you can't go on anymore, you know the thing you need more than anything? Paul says, he will give you peace. Listen, you're, 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 you're anxious about that doctor's visit coming up. Years ago, years ago, I had gone for a biopsy. I got a phone call a couple of days later. And a doctor says, Mr. Panapinto, I'll tell you something. He says, you have cancer. I tell you, if you want to become epiplectic, that will do it. But the peace of God, which goes beyond all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds. You know what? Lord, this is yours. Don't matter what valley you're traveling through. You've got the assurance, you've got the guarantee of the peace of God. The altar is not only a place of prayer, but it's a place of sacrifice. In Jeremiah 33, verse 11, I love this verse. Listen to this. He says, the voice of joy, the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the voice of them that shall say, praise the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good, and for them that shall bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. Do you know what we ought to be having in this church? A sacrifice of praise. Folks, if we cannot praise God here, we can't praise Him anywhere. If you can praise Him at home, if you can praise Him at work, if you can praise Him in your car, if you can praise Him in your troubles, then we should have no problem in our bringing to this house of worship a sacrifice of praise this morning. My friends, we need to restore our broken altars. Step 2, verses 33-35. It says, Then he arranged the wood and cut the ox in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, Fill, fill four pitchers with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. The water flowed around, all the, around the altar and he filled the trench with water. Step two. You know all that water, that mess of water he had poured all over the sacrifice? We need to remove any idea of deception. Boy, when he poured that water over that sacrifice... He said, I'm not trying to fool you. I'm just going to show you how big God is. If your faith in Christ is real, then people need to see that faith in action. In essence, how are you using your Christianity? If your faith is evidenced by only merely attending church once a week for one hour, then you need to ask yourself this question. How do the other 167 hours of that week correspond to my Christian calling? How does that look like? How's that working out for you? If, if all we have in Christianity is just this, 
I think we'd be a miserable lot if this is all there is. Christianity is just not coming to church. Christianity is being the church. Elijah, to demonstrate the power and sovereignty of God, dumped a whole mess, I said a whole mess of water on what God was about to burn up. In Hebrews 12, 29, Hebrews 12, 29 says, Our God is a consuming fire. There is coming a day. Folks, listen, there is coming a day. And I think it's going to be real soon, by the way. When God will burn up and renew this world. It won't matter how much water is poured on the flames. It won't matter how much fiery tartan suits we're going to wear. It won't matter how many of our smoke alarms and fire alarms are, are set off. God is going to do what God has purposed to do because he's a God who is sovereign. God's going to do what God is going to do. Let's not be deceptive in saying that we are Christian and then act as though we never knew him. We're to demonstrate to the world as to whom we belong by walking worthy of his calling. You are called to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. Jesus, you want to be my follower? Pick up my cross. Pick up the cross and follow me. I didn't share this in the first group. I'll share it with you. A few years ago, my wife and I were, were at, at a, uh, getting breakfast. And as we were leaving the parking lot, I came across this thoroughfare. And there was a sign there. It says, cross traffic does not stop. I said, man, there's a great sermon illustration. Listen to that. Cross traffic does not stop. We, the church, ought to be the cross traffic. We should never stop. Keep on going. Keep on moving out for Jesus. I like that old King. I might have used this before. The old King James saying, quit ye like men. Boy, brothers, act like a man. Bear your cross. Bear your cross. Jesus says, you love mom and dad more than me? You love brother and sister more than me? Son or daughter more than me? You love yourself more than me? You're not worthy of me. Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, 38. Step three. Look at verse 37. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that the people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their heart back again. You know, the title of the sermon is to renew a relationship with God. And that's the third step. We've got to learn how to renew our relationship with God. A pastor's role consists of three things. You're going to call a pastor someday. He's going to be your full-time pastor. He may be here for five years, 15 years, 20, or 30 years. We don't know. Or he might just get here and the rapture might occur and you, we just all zip up together. Whatever. Three things are absolutely prerequisite, quintessential for a pastor. Number one is his call. Make sure the guy has a call. Number two, his character. I don't mean that he should be a character, but he should have character. And three, there's a matter of his commission. His call, his character, and his commission. 
You find that in 1 Timothy chapters 3 and 4, by the way, if you want to study that. But beyond that, Dunes realized that you too have a call, a, and you should have a character, or not be one, and have a commission. All believers have in many respects the same standards that in, that's involved in a pastor's life. Call, character, and commission. First, our call in Romans 12, 21, Paul, writing to church at Rome, says, Therefore, I urge you by the mercies of God to present your bodies, what? A living sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. This is not only true for pastors, it's true for yuns. A sacrifice is something in, the, in this sense that it is totally, a sacrifice is totally to be offered up to God. When we do not fully give ourselves to be used of God, we are in essence saying, Lord, you can have all of me except. And then, folks, you can fill in the blank. What part of you can God not have? Lord, you can have all of me, but don't touch my children. Don't touch my income. Don't touch my health. Don't, don't touch whatever. What part are you holding back from God? When you have a conversion experience in your life, when Jesus becomes real to you, how much of you belongs to Christ? You're not tithing yourself to God. He purchased you. All of you belongs to God. Every, every ounce of every one of you. Also, just like the pastor, there's a matter of character. When it comes to character, there's, there's the issue of sacrifice. Either you will sacrifice yourself totally to God, or you will discover that you have sacrificed your character upon the altar of conformity. You conform to the things of this world. It's like Paul says, Demas has left me for he's left God, he's left the church, he's left the family, he's left the faith because he's fallen in love with this world. Choose for yourself the extent of your character you wish to display. For Elijah, he knew his God was convinced both in life and experience as to God's reality. In a word, he cries out to God and says, God, do what you need to do so that you might prove yourself as God to this people. His character and his faith went hand in hand with his view of God's sovereignty. And folks, I cannot think of anything more precious than we need to preach in the church today than that we serve a God who is sovereign over all creation. Everything. This church belongs to God. The future of this church is not just in our hands, it is in God's hands. And if it's in God's hands, it's in great hands. David, King David of Israel. What a, what a, the Lord says, this, this guy's the apple of my eye. The guy messed up 
as much as any of us ever could mess up. And just God loved him to pieces, didn't he? And he loved God. Listen to this. David, when desiring to purchase a field, and he was going to take that field, and he was going to erect an, an altar on that field, and he was going to offer a burnt sacrifice on a field, and he wanted to buy it from another guy. And the guy says, listen, David, I'm going to, I'm going to give you the oxen. I'm going to give you the field. This ain't going to cost you anything. Remember that? Not going to cost you anything. Remember David's reply? David says, no, but I will surely buy it from you for a price, for I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, which cost me nothing. Folks, when you come to Jesus Christ, you offer him everything. Everything. You want to restore, renew, rebuild that relationship with God? Then give yourself totally to him. If we want to renew our walk with him, we can ill afford to remain distant on our service to him. Are you today, are you today willing to give all the best of yourselves, your time and your talent? You say, well, I want to give it to God. Let me tell you something. You know how you can give it to God? What time and your talent and what treasure are you giving to the church? You know, my friends, listen, when you, when you joined this church, when you came to this church, did you say, you know, I'd like to join the church, but please don't ask me to do anything. I don't I can't give you anything. I don't want to do anything. You know, I just want, I want, I'm coming to church because I want absolute anonymity. You want to go to heaven someday and you're going to walk up and you're going to face the Lord eyeball to eyeball, nose to nose and toes to toes. You're going to stand before the Lord and, and you're going to say, Lord, I'm just looking for a cabin in a corner, complete anonymity. You know, Jesus is going to show you anonymity. You don't want anonymity when it comes to Jesus. Well, you want to be front and center. There's also the matter of your commission. One of the pastor's responsibilities is to equip the saints for service. Folks, you can't equip what you ain't got. We can't equip those who are not willing to work. You know, people say that prayer is work. You know, I've discovered too after a bunch of years in the ministry that church is work too. And I, something else I discovered, I, this may be new, the pastor can't do all those things himself. It, it takes all of us. It takes all of us. Step four, verse 39. When all the people saw it, that ox was burned up, the trench was burned up, the water was burnt up, everything, everything was burnt up. When the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. You know the most important step is this fourth step. You want a healthy church, you want a healthy devotional life, you want a healthy whatever it is in your life, this fourth step is, is, the, is the apex of all these points. 
It's the sum and substance of all we've been saying. The fourth step is this. Revive, listen, revive the worth of God in worship. If nothing else were to be known about this verse other than the point that we should prostrate ourselves before the majesty and holiness of God and humble ourselves in His presence, then we would all come out the better for it. In this age where it seems that what we're looking for, all of us, not just church people, but the whole world, looks like we've been, we set ourselves in a course to be entertained rather than to worship. And I find that true in the church too. Sometimes we just want to be entertained. You know, when we sing songs, we sing a hymn, we sing a praise and worship song. I don't know if you discovered this or not. The praise team that's up here, they were not singing to you. It's not about you, and they weren't singing to me. And if you were singing, you were not singing to them. I trust that all of us were singing to whom? Worship is not about you, and it's not about me. We need to set a priority that when we come into this place, there's only one person that we're going to sing to and pray to and preach about, and that's Jesus. It is time for us to get back to the fundamentals of Christian worship. The message, the music, the praying, the reading of Scripture, the giving of our tithes and offering is all to be part of our humbling of ourselves to God who is absolutely 100% holy. Jesus said to the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, He says, God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. Notice he says that we must worship him. God deserves and God expects, in fact, God demands that his people worship him. God is divine. And as divine, he's a God who is unknowable. He's unknowable unless he does what? Unless he chooses to reveal himself to us and he has done so in the person of Jesus Christ, His Son. When you see Jesus, you see the Father. Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Jesus is God. That's why we're here. That's our work. That's our ministry, to honor the Lord, to worship Him. We need to restore the worth of worship to God in the church. Not to jump up and down, hey, everyone's happy. No, that's not what we do. We're here because there is enthroning glory above. God who is seated on His throne. That even the seraphs of heaven dare not look at Him because of His purity. And how audacious of us to think that we can come to church and it's all about us. We should humble ourselves before Him. We have a pe- as a people 
think that we are entitled to whatever pleasantry we might receive. What we're entitled to, to if, if, we were, if the truth be known, what you and I are entitled, all of us are entitled to, is the very gates of hell be opened wide for us. That's what we're entitled to. Were it not for the grace of God, every one of us would burn in hell. But by His grace and His grace alone, we've escaped that. Should we not come to this place and say, Lord, cry out with the angels, cry out with the angels, and say, worthy, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. That is the God who we should be worshiping. I challenge you today, my friends challenge you today. If you've slipped back, if you've slipped back, I'm challenging you today to take a step forward and renew that relationship with God. Renew that relationship with God. Then, as we all together, as a whole church, return to the Lord, and walk with the Lord. Could you imagine what great and mighty things God would do right here at HBC? I'm telling you, this whole community would be flooding in here because of the fire that's burning in your hearts. Let's pray. Father, we bless you today. We thank you. Lord, you're a mighty God. Lord, we need to be subject to you. I trust you, Father, that uh, in this service today, Lord, that you will touch whom you want to touch, that you will regenerate the heart of the person that is this distant from you, and you draw him or her to yourself, Father, because that is your work. Lord, that's not my work. That's not the work of this people, not the work of our denomination or this church. Lord, you are the one who calls people into your glory. We thank you for that. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.